I'm delighted to be joined again, I'm just going to repeat their names, uh, Dr. Brendan Kamein, who's a PhD student at the Royal College of Art in London. Um, I'm got Dr. Kat Algar-Skaif, Skaif, 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 who's a research fellow from Bangor University, and our very first professor of the day who passed the test of making the technology work. Um, we've got Dr. Uh, professor Marion Lynch, who's a visiting professor of dementia care at the <laughs> University of West London. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining. Morning. Good morning. Well done, Adam. You're doing a great job. I'm exhausted already. I don't know how you're going to do 12 hours. I, I just, I'm starting to feel slightly guilty that some of these subjects did much, deserve much longer than five and 10 minutes conversations. Um, we, I'm, we could have gone on for 24 hours, I'm, I'm sure. But thank you, Kat. That's very kind of you. Thank um, you for organising it, Adam. It's brilliant. That's, very kind of you to say, don't, you'll have me crying. Um, we're, we're going to talk about the role of art and technology. And this was, you know, some of my other groupings of people were a bit tricky because, you know, um, when you saw Kelly earlier, for example, talking about functional objects and end of life, that didn't quite fit. But this was a really easy one because you all, in your bios, you all came back and said, yeah, art, the, we, we do Art. So maybe, Brendan, just don't talk about your work yet. Can I just ask you to introduce yourself and maybe what yeah. your PhD is? Tell okay, thank you. Thank you. So um, I'm a PhD researcher. I'm just starting my second year part-time at the Royal College of Art. I'm based in the School of Design. Um, my res uh, PhD is both uh, thesis and practice, so it's a bit of both, um, with an emphasis on design. Um, it's human-centered design, which um, helps develop a deep and sort of understanding of the issues that people are facing. Um, so you can be more focused on what they need. And <clears throat> obviously in my case, it's um, the environment and care homes for people with dementia. So this is designing better environments so people have a better experience of living there. Yeah, um, better, more, engaging environments I guess and uh, okay. environments so not practical as in you should put a wall there and a door there and make sure the windows open. no 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 that so, I mean that is really important as well but that's not where I'm sort of going is it Stirling University do lots on that or oh, um physical environment don't they thank you Brendan yeah. uh, Kat could I ask you to introduce yourself as well uh, yeah, sure. So I'm uh, Dr. Kat Algarskaith. I'm a research fellow at Bangor University. Um, I've been a dementia care researcher uh, for about 11 years now. Um, first came into contact um, with Adam because um, together we brought joint dementia research uh, to Wales. So one of my hats is coordinating uh, JDR in Wales. Um, but kind of my main research interest is uh, around um, the role of the arts um, for improving and supporting lives for people living with dementia and also those who support them both professionally and informally. Um, I could talk forever about it, so I think <laughs> I will stop there. Uh, but yeah, I have quite a few hats, um, but really excited to be here. Hello, I'm Marion Lynch. My initial research in, as part of this was um, how do we use poetry and prose to teach medicine? And from that, which I finished a decade ago now, oh my goodness, 
um, we started to recognize that clinic clinicians start to get a bit of panic about art or or the, the arts they say well I haven't got an A-level in English or you know I could never draw and all of these things and there's a there's a currency there that um, seems alien to them whereas in fact it it's nothing to do with that at all and what I noticed in my research was when I used work from people living with dementia which then started to become part of the curricula for general practice um, people started to be able to equate what they saw with with some of the thoughts they had about the utility of people. Um, like I say, that was 10 years ago, I've moved on since then. And now I'm looking at how we construct even the thinking of the design of healthcare or even the legal system um, in relation to dementia. Ooh. Well, I'm, I'm tempted to stick with you because you've got me interested now. <laughs> I'm going to go back around the circle. I'm tempted to stick with you now because you've got me, you've got me interested. So, so to start with, I think the initial work about teaching uh, medicine through through those mechanisms sounds interesting. You could see how that could adapt. So, how has how has it moved on now then? What? Well, I, I, so I started it almost two decades ago and um, I was a nurse. I am a nurse. You never lose being a nurse. I'm a nurse. I was working as one of the first medical educators in the UK. So I was bringing a, a sort of person-centered lens and nursing lens to the world that was particularly biomedical. And in order to um, have something that was neither nursing nor doctoring, I started to think, okay, what is, what is neither? And what was neither was the arts, but there was a lot of uh, interest in medical humanities, but not enough to fund a PhD or to get any kind of traction in conversations. So it was an uphill struggle. Um, so my, my the title was challenging the epistemological basis of medical education. How um, how do, how do we how do GP trainers use poetry and prose to teach? For those of you who've done PhDs, you absolutely know I can only say it like that because I've been completely socialized to not be able to deconstruct it at all. That's the, that's the title. <laughs> um, and what, what um, was wonderful from it was when I started to move into dementia, which was my clinical area, I was working with some art that um, Mrs. Margaret Drake had done. She, Ma Mrs. Margaret Drake was a lace maker and her beautiful lace collar was shown uh, by her husband and he said he saw a flaw in it that the clinicians didn't see and what surprised him was she didn't see it and that was the diagnostic this this missed stitch rather than a mini mental state or something and the her work uh, continued throughout her journey in dementia and became changed and what I did then was um, worked with him and the photographs he'd taken of her work and showed them as the journey through dementia, getting clinicians to comment on it and then explore what their comments meant and what, what we saw was the, the diametrically opposed views of it. Clinicians usually saw something that had become childlike, less um, simple, etc. The family, um, and others saw engaged in, a, in an activity, the person's identity still continuing, 
valuing the, the time. And so there was real interest to be able to show just through these artifacts, uh, the, the different lens that we took on what it is to be hu a human living with dementia. That work then became part of the GP uh, training nationally as part of the curriculum to teach holistic domain, because one can only understand a holistic person um, and that kind of lens if you remove yourself from the language and the constructs that you've been socialized in in medicine. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that makes complete sense, doesn't it? I, I don't know how, how is that similar to you, uh, Kat? Into um, thinking about how you've done that in your in your work as well because that sounds very similar uh, yeah so actually um i was going to talk about an artist residency project but actually um you've reminded you me <laughs> my, <laughs> uh, my the first project that i led after my phd was um called creative conversations and that was developing um an arts-based um staff development programme for care home residents, uh, no, sorry, for care home staff. So we were using uh, the arts to help staff understand the experiences of people living with dementia. Um, and staff felt that this really helped them understand. So we were using music, uh, film, poetry, um, um, lots about the uh, topic of dementia, but also by people living with dementia. Um, so yeah, I'm really um, gonna go and look at your work, Marion, because it links uh, very well. Um, I've been looking at some of the sort of um, medical education uh, stuff as well. Um, so that's kind of one side, um, but also um, I've been working with Cartrevi project, which is, led by Age Henry, um, and it's an arts in um, care homes project um, where professional artists are leading residencies within care homes across Wales. Uh, and I've been the research partner for, um, well, since it started in 2015. So I've been able to really um, help progress some of, and look more in depth at some of, um, the things going on. So the first evaluation showed significant improvements in well-being for the residents, but also for the staff who were supporting sessions, helps them understand their residents much better. Again, as you were saying, um, showing that residents um, were much more able than staff first thought, but also it um, encouraged um, care staff to um, engage creatively themselves outside of work. Um, <coughs> I've moved on to do a social return on investment for the project as well to try and get more evidence um, because although we've got some amazing results, the first evaluation involved 122 care homes. Um, so we had some really big numbers involved. Um, yeah, I, I was the... <laughs> For the most part, I was the only researcher. Staff change all the time, and you didn't physic. Did you physically go to all those? Uh, no. So that was a challenge, actually, because my PhD, I was in care homes doing observations, and I, I really got ingrained. Whereas for this, I was having to ask uh, artist practitioners to help uh, do data collection as well as care staff. 
so it that was very um different um but i i love this project because i've been with it for so long um and we're now moving forward um i've got a master's student who started today actually um she's actually one of the Trevi artists who is now looking at how we can get, uh, look at embedding the approach within social care because it's been funded now for six years um, which is amazing um, is. but that's not going to continue so we're now looking at it a bit more strategically of how we can look to embedding it. And the financial side of this is important isn't it because I think yeah. that's that is for me is often something that's slightly overlooked from some of the research that we've talked about already today and I think we'll go on to look at is, is that when you publish those findings coming with a balance sheet that also says right and this is because let's face it you know governments are often bothered about the bottom line and if you know if you're persuading the NHS to invest in or local authorities or the government to invest in something being able to demonstrate the value and what it would cost to really do the investment required is something that's needed and shouldn't be an afterthought it should be right there for me right there up front and even if that means bringing in some expertise from external people who are accountants and cost specialists we're going to be talking to martin knapp who's an economist later today from the london school of economics about the the financial aspects of it <coughs> so how have you has that been tricky and, and marion coming back to you is that something you've had to look at as well is is the cost you know the cost proposals mm -hmm. of this what does it cost to do to to, to help sell it um well sorry i'll let as i said i decided to because i had a huge uh, data set I actually did a retrospective social care on investment and I apologise, my dog is snoring in the background. Um, <laughs> um, because it, I felt like we've got, we had this amazing result, but everyone was like, well, that's lovely. But it didn't feel like it was making the right impact. Um, so adding that social return on investment, hopefully will speak another language and add onto the current evidence that we've got. And you made um, the point, it's got to be thought of as return on investment because of course not all, because the, the value isn't necessarily that it saves three hours of staff time in agitation and so that as a cost, a pound sign against it, it's selling that well-being. Sorry, Marion, I'm going to come back to, can you even? Yeah, so I, um, return on investment, we really need to look at, um, what kind of return are we looking at? So when we look at the arts, uh, we talk about this being the fifth wave of public health. Firstly, we've had the, you know, we, we've had, we sorted the water, we sorted the sewage, we've had um, vaccinations, then we did healthcare information, you know, don't smoke, do running, etc. We're in the fifth wave now, which is showing that telling people what to do doesn't work. And this fifth wave helps us relate back to 2000 years ago and when we really started to look at um, when health was integrated into all of society, what's right, what's good, what's true. And those three elements therefore are needed if we're going to look at return on investment. So what's the right thing to do? The moral imperative in terms of care for people with dementia. Um, um, what's what's um, true? So the evidence base behind things we get um, you know, not everything is an RCT in terms of dementia, and this is where uh, the uh, 
evidence base that we're talking about return investment looks at um what's beautiful that's the other one what's right what's good what's beautiful what's true what's good what's beautiful and the arts element is this aesthetic element is now what's coming into society and we're building on that in terms of the way we look at climate change we look at human geography the way we look at other areas what we're missing out is how we look at it in terms of health we still have that biomedical model so these are high high ranging um concepts and thoughts but actually we have to also look beyond the, the gross domestic product of health it's not about the utility of the person we need a social model of health as well yeah i absolutely agree and that's it well and it's great that it is even being looked at um brendan i i i have got to come to you now uh, because okay. you're kind of still at the early stage of your career. I am very much at the early stage. You've been an art teacher. I should have, for anybody who wants to know, profiles on all of our speakers are on the website. And please do remember, you can ask questions. If you post them now, I should have a chance to get to them before the end. So you were an art teacher before, and now you've come to your PhD. Tell us about your PhD project. So my PhD project is looking at three key areas. It's looking at... Um, technology, it's looking at um, a soft textile item, which could be a blanket, a toy, a teddy bear, and it's looking at the visual environment. So what I'm trying to do is integrate those three things together. So um, I'm thinking about having a sensors running through the soft textile item, which um, creates projections within the environment. Um, and that will be, those projections will be come through from a very collaborative based research with family members, carers, obviously the residents, because um, they're the expertise on what their own condition. Um, so yeah, um, and there'll be, from my point of view, I'll be running those um, art-based workshops as a co-researcher. Um, I'll also be doing observations, discussions, um, questionnaires, and a lot of storytelling. Um, when I did my MA, I did that with the um, carers of people who had lived with dementia, mostly husbands and wives. And um, the arts-based um, sort of research brought out lots of really interesting stories and facts and I could see lots of overlaps and commonalities which everyone was going through as as a carer as well and I think you get a lot of information through that process of of doing and participating in a very practical thing. You, you should catch up with Kat because Kat might know a few care homes. Yes, <laughs> that'd be great. So we talked, we, we, we earlier on, we talked about this being about art. And I think we've talked a little bit about how, how art is providing some practical assistance, not only in terms of something to occupy the mind or something beautiful to hang around for, you know, to, to fill your life and space with, um, but also uh, it has the practical applications in terms of the reducing agitation in residents, it seemed to do. And it's helped certainly in care homes. I think, I don't know if, because there was a push, wasn't there, Cap? I, I guess of, oh, probably 10 years ago now, that the idea of giving care home residents antipsychotic drugs and people who kind of were perceived as being 
rabble rousers, you know, kind of got sat in chairs. And, and this is all the push since then has been to, to try and make particularly nursing homes and care homes better places to be that do have activities that are nice places to be and that have these and you deal with that agitation in other ways and that's what your research is kind of proving and working with the resident artists sounds fascinating um, but I wanted to bring everybody now back to technology so this was talking about technology was in here as well <laughs> I don't who who had technology in there why did I put technology somebody had technology in their bios that made me add that to the title is it cat mm -hmm. cat you've got technology in yours um no, I don't think no. so. Somebody's I mean, I know it. of some great projects that combine technology, uh, the use of technology in the arts. Um, oh, no, Brendan, it's Brendan, Brendan. using technology. Me. Come on, Brendan, how are you using technology? <laughs> um, like I said, um, it's really a case of putting sensors through a soft textile item which creates projections into a, a space. And... I want the resident to actually have that control through that soft textile item to choose what visuals they want in a space. So I'll be researching things like um, visuals of reminiscence of nature, of, um, of landscapes, and looking at what actually makes them engaged and feel um, comfortable and at ease. Um, and yeah, so that that makes sense, and you can see how technology has moved on. I've seen, I don't know if you've seen recently, the using projections onto tables that project things that, that you can then interact with pictures and mm -hmm. moving images. And I guess Marion, in thinking about poetry and language and the written word, technology has helped. That dictation software has come on so rapidly to allow people's what they say to appear on a screen. Is that something you've made use of? What I have made use of in technology and through the teaching, because I teach on the MSc for dementia, is the concept of um, robots as carers or um, uh, pieces of, of what looks like human body but isn't human body as a way of calm, of something to calm people down. And I was particularly disturbed by my own reaction when I met Pepper, who is the, um, the, robotic robot uh, that I met him, I met it him, I met it in, in Japan. And it's the robot that does, provides care in care homes. It's many of them around. And I thought, I thought it was going to be to, like talking to your, my laptop. Um, and it wasn't, I actually did suddenly create a different kind of relationship. And I was astounded because it was just like my laptop, but it wasn't, it was um, talking back to me. And I was, all I was playing was noughts and crosses, but I, I, I connected and I was quite shocked about that. And the other technology which um, disturbed most of my students was something, um, it's called Nadine, and it it's, looks like a human arm. It's a hand that feel, and the skin, the, the, um, the way it's phrased is the skin feels quite lifelike and it's it looks like an arm and it's placed in in um, a chair or a, a sitting area or a bed with somebody so they feel as if they're holding someone's hand and that concept um creates many many issues because if you don't have enough humans 
to provide the care? How do we provide the care using technology? Not the narratives and everything, but the uh, a, a piece of arm or a product that creates a connection. Disembodied arm. That sounds you. I don't know. I'm, I'm waking up in bed with a disembodied arm could be quite. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, and that's again. There's the lens. That's what we see. What the person living with dementia feels and has is a hand to hold. So yeah. who are we to say that this is wrong <laughs> and yeah, because we can't have a, a person sitting there? Um, well, I, I mean, yeah. it is, whether it's about art, I mean, I can see, and I, this hasn't been, I haven't seen many examples of this, but um, the FTD people, I think talking to the later might use, is uh, making more use of a virtual reality, of course, which is coming in more now yeah. to kind of fill those those spaces because you can put on the gloves can't you and I've seen these you can put the gloves on you can put the thing on and this isn't just something from a sci-fi ready player one movie you can you can squeeze yeah. something and get the haptic response back that makes you feel like you're doing anything absolutely the other side of me is going to argue though that is that just tricking your you know is that tricking the brain into sat rather than living with the issue that this is something you I don't know moral question well, so, so let's move mm. let's so, and, and there's the moral you know is it right is it true is it good there's the there's the elements that we need to look at so when i was working on visual um this reality with flix films who are based at um, trinity hospice uh, the work that they were doing um showed that when people who had actual um neurological damage which meant they they could not move their legs whilst they were skiing in this virtual reality, they, they were automatically engaging their core. So that's happy. manipulation, and that's yeah. tricking. We have a, a moral judgment that that's okay, yet what we're doing with people living with dementia isn't. And that's why I think the, all the elements in um, how we look at dementia need to go beyond a biomedical model or a social um, thinking and really start to think, what is it? Why do we have an issue with doing something that tricks the body from a skiing accident, but not absolutely with, right. with someone? Gonna, yeah, be, be slightly more open-minded on this. Um, we're coming up to the end yeah. of our, our last, uh, bit. well, that's it, we're out of time. Um, we've, uh, we haven't had any questions for you guys, but I think that's because you've explained <laughs> your, your work so eloquently and concisely as well. Um, I think, you're all on Twitter. Um, if anybody is interested in knowing more about Kat's work with resident artists and sharing and, and across this care home activity or Brendan's PhD project, if any care homes in London are tuning in and interested to, to get involved, I'm sure Brendan's very receptive and uh, Marion as well, you're, you're online. Oh look, we've got somebody with a t-shirt. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Marion Lynch, Dr. Kat Algar, Skiff and Brendan Kamein for joining us in the last half an hour to talk about your work. It's really great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye.